So it's all of page two, basically. Then after that, um, take the, the three refuges and the eight precepts. And um, if you're not familiar with that, I'll kind of walk you through it, phrase at a time.
You'll find the formulae for the refuges it's on page 56. And the precepts, so that um, 56, then you get to the Three refuges themselves are 58, 59, 60, and then the eight precepts are on 61. <clears throat> Does anyone know what, how to? Request these. Would like to do that. Namotasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa Namotasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa Namotasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa
गच्छामि
I'd like to welcome everybody on board for the, this retreat. And as it's generally the case when one first gets on board, it's just kind of finding out your place and you're checking out uh, where you are and getting to know things. Some of you have done these retreats, many of these re- retreats before, and some of you have probably done monastic style retreats before, which are um, so this may be quite a, a familiar um, niche to settle back into, although, as you probably well aware, all niches have a few surprises in them. <laughs> and uh, that's what keeps it alive, the uncertainty. <coughs> Uh, just uh, adjusting to this particular um, mode of conduct uh, for the next nine or ten days or so. And so, actually, <clears throat> one thing to bear in mind is that they regard everything in this time as a, as a form of cultivation, form of practice. It's not like you have you know, practice snippets, a bit of practice in the morning, a bit of practice in the evening. It's actually all the time when the mind is operating on some level or another, most of the time, all of the time. So there's something to be cultivated within it. And it's to, to always remember that in the teaching of the Buddha, this cultivation is a very broad and uh, thorough cultivation. It's not you can get into very refined patches and very um, fine tuning 
and then you but you also should never lose touch with the the wholeness of it because it can be the case that um, you know when the mind doesn't always isn't always capable of getting into very refined or specialized spaces sometimes your mind just doesn't meditate it won't do it it refuses it's like a horse that refuses at the hurdle it just kind of sticks its heels in and that's it and you have to know what to do when it's like that how to not lose confidence or lose faith just realize this is a time to cultivate something like patience and uh, patience and gentleness and just wait till things settle a bit and then see how it goes it's sometimes one doesn't understand the entire process of what the mind has to deal with the, the past karma the past habits you don't really never really understand it you understand bits of it but you can't understand it all and there's a certain modesty in that in that it's not all explicable sometimes you just have to know all there is to do now is wait and see how things change and uh, that's the act of faith is that ability to you know, to rest in uncertainty and to not have a game plan and not to be able to to do and to make it but to trust in that sense of resting and waiting and watching and allowing things to change of of through that process of not um, getting agitated or or whipping or bringing up despair or confusion into the mind so even this even when it's very difficult to meditate it's still possible to cultivate And when you look at uh, cultivation in the broadest sense, then it is, it's a seamless thing. Um, there's always very simple principles involved that, that deal with the most uh, uh, seemingly mundane and yet difficult to, to perfect uh, cultivations of speech and a- action and go right through to the finest tunings of awareness. And the simple theme is always the outlined is to, to do good, to uphold, to fully uplift and uphold what's, what's kusala, or kusala is the, the beautiful, the skillful, the good. It's more than just right in a righteous way. It's actually the nourishing, the goodness, the wholeness, the, that which sustains the heart, to lift that up, to remember it, to, to honor it whether this is something as, as simple as um, you know, the way that one conducts oneself towards uh, your other practitioners in the retreat, the way that we kind of are, don't crowd in on each other, and the way that we can help out with the chores, something like that. To do that in a, in a full-hearted way, in a way that's making a full, full acknowledgement of the goodness of that, and dwelling in it, because it is a lovely thing to do good if, if you really enter into the heart of it the, um, the recognition that doing good is not a matter of doing good out of, out of fear of being blamed or out of the pressure to conform but doing good because it feels good it makes one feel easy, bright trusting, friendly um, clear
feels good. So this, and this goes from the simplest and the most obvious right through to the most uh, refined form of, of practice. And once you have that, um, that impression of what it is like, what that feels like in the heart when there's goodness, that acts as, your, as, the, as the reference point, which you can really see the, the roots of where things go wrong, where things get twisted, where things get corrupted, the roots of evil or harmfulness, unskillfulness, clumsiness, grossness. Because when the mind is actually opened into that, into a state of, of, of goodness and clarity, then you detect the kind of finer than the roots the finer points and the roots and the beginnings of where it goes wrong. And then to be able to acknowledge that and to not act upon it, to not bring those, to bring those seeds, those, to, to not feed those roots, not to bring those seeds into fruition, but to recognize, oh, something wrong here. There's tightening up. There's defensiveness. There's worry. There's agitation. So wrongness or akusala is never starts from some kind of direct harmful inclination. It starts from a place of losing balance. It starts from a place of insecurity, of fear, of agitation, of defensiveness, of these kinds of something tenses in us. So, you know, to actually do in the beauty of, of Full cultivation is you can you begin to recognise that that the beginnings of that and understand and look into that what's happening and check it right there before you find yourself acting saying acting in ways that then leave unpleasant impressions in your mind leave unskillful relationships with others and things that you regret have got to try to kind of repair or, or cover up. Or not, feel a, or not feel a sense of ease and trust in oneself. So to, to do good, to, to really see that, the uh, harmfulness, unskillfulness, and to, to check it. And then to purify the heart. So this is the, if you like, the the, the, the completion of the process. And really when it comes down to it, purifying the heart completely is purifying it of, 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 of unknowing, of, of wrong-seeing, of confused premises, of foggy assumptions. So the unskillfulness always arises from a, a mistake on re- the reali- reality, a mistake on the way things are, kind of longing that something's another way, uh, feeling that one can't bear something being this way, and all that seizing up and clutching that, that occurs. The purifying the heart, purifying the mind, 
how is this to be done? How can something that we can feel is not pure, is it may be sort of morally sound, but it's, it's confused, there's, there's uncertainty, there's nervousness, uh, there's anxiety, these kind of things, which, which are as much impurities as anything else. They, they, they take away the, the, the beauty and the happiness of the heart. They, they, they're impure in that sense. How do we, coming with these kinds of um, content or these kinds of recognizing ourselves prone to such weaknesses, how do we purify? Um, this is where, of course, one has to give one's faith and commitment to uh, a wise teacher, like the Buddha. So during this retreat, the Buddha himself, as a person, is no longer with us, but he said that the teachings that he gave are in essence what he is. It's not a particular person we're looking for, but uh, the awakened, Buddha is awakened, so that, that possibility is still present through the teachings. And some of these uh, teachings are, if you like, about structure, some of them are about what we do, some of them is about uh, um, ways to see things. But the, the, the whole teaching is called the, the, it's called the Dhamma, meaning the truth or the way it is, and the discipline, which means the way in which we train ourselves. So it's certainly not a teaching that can be understood without the training oneself, without throwing oneself into it and being prepared to be trained to be molded by it so it requires faith um, which is twofold as if you like the recognition some faith in the, the teaching of the Buddha uh, that it does that there is it leads to uh, awakening or at least to a further better um, state of being and the willing, willingness to go into some to, to enter into something that's um, a little bit beyond one's one's norms you know, going into the unknown if you like going over the edge of the known the secure the familiar the comfortable the easy being able to kind of that take that's faith too faith is not a matter of belief um, you know, or indoctrination. It's not the same thing as believing in something. It's essentially moving over, out of, out of a, beyond a boundary. Yeah. And we do create um, a lot of limitations for ourselves through a lack of faith or not being encouraged to, to operate faith. take a chance if you like and this is partly because uh, there's not uh, we don't the, the inspiring leaders such as the Buddha are not are not common so one doesn't feel inclined to give a lot of trust to um, 
captains of industry and <laughs> politics and so on uh, seem to be distinctly flawed beings. So one doesn't really exercise the, the faith faculty of the mind and for many people it's a lost word, it doesn't even mean anything. But for, a, for cultivation it's essential and we realize if we're going to cultivate there has to be a movement beyond what we, where we are already and something that's done full-heartedly. Without faith then one will only ever really stay within one's own boundaries and one's own norms and get by and maybe, you know, embellish them a little but you won't really um, rise up and move out. In this, so this retreat asks and expects and requires faith. It won't work otherwise. Um, and it encourages that. So it's not a matter really just of, of everybody being obedient, conforming, otherwise you're going to get blamed criticized or mocked but using it as an occasion where um, one is that you are asked to, to move beyond what is uh, your norms and that's a very frank and require a requirement um, in a way that is manageable but certainly there are certain challenges to that and so in essence like just keeping the eight precepts is a very rare thing to happen in the world um, but the aim of and to make a commitment to that this is not something just to kind of put up with <laughs> but something to, to, to exercise and to look at you know to look into what it brings up the sense of restraint limitations how do limitations and freedom work you know it, it, so this is the paradox we have limitations on our normal habits of um, conversing, of eating, um, and behaving. There's no entertainments, um, there's long silences. You're with 60, 70 people who you're, you're not uh, really making contact with. And um, the, the meal is a, it's the couple of meals a day and nothing in the evening nothing afternoon. So this sense of, of being held back on that level, and it's partly because the mind does make uh, so much out of um, existence on that level. So we can make a lot out of socializing, um, entertaining ourselves, and entertaining ourselves with eating, actually. When, um, so this is a very common um, pastime. If you want to you know, meet somebody, take them out for a meal, eat something together. Eating is fun. It's kind of, go to a restaurant and it's, it's special. You know, it's not just like somebody puts down a sack of this and a you know, clump of that and it's all nicely coloured and painted and dressed up and on plates and things like this. So it's, it's kind of fun. 
Um, and uh, it, it's uh, something that we do to pass time, something that we do to, to make social contact, something that we do when uh, just for entertainment. And so it can be, um, it's like that, but it can, of course it can be, a di- it's a distraction um, because when it's used for distracting means. So putting that away, um, for that reason, just for simplicity of mind, it's not, we haven't got anything against food or eating in some kind of puritanical way, but just for simplicity's sake. And this is definitely doable. I've been doing this for 25 years, and uh, I haven't had an evening meal for 25 years. <laughs> and I'm still, I'm, you know, fine. <laughs> I've never... <laughs> But it wasn't always like, like that. I, when I started in a monastery, or everything to eat in the evening, then it was quite a, a, a strain at first. Just it was, wasn't so much anything physical. It's just the, the psychological impact of you know it's come, coming up to twelve, and then there's this voice in the mind thinking this is going to be the last thing you're going to eat until. <laughs> <laughs> and then feeling quite, you know, why? Well, let's see why you have to do this. What's wrong with this? And that, you know, mind you, quite agitated. And so it, it could be can become quite an obsession. Um, for particularly for monks in a monastery, when you do this for the first few years, you know, there's nothing else because in monasteries, are really there's nothing much happening at all. So. <laughs> um, you know, so you can watch the cockroaches running up and down the wall in the evening. That's that's the entertainment. <laughs> so you've got nothing to do. You think, well, you drink something, um, yeah, maybe eat eat something, drink something, uh, do something. <laughs> nothing to do except wait for the next meal. You know. So those those meals actually become kind of highlights of of something's happening at last, you know, interactive experience, me and a donut, <laughs> and some sort of sense of easy, easy, pleasant feeling. You're hungry, something tastes nice, put it in your mouth, easy, easy, pleasant feeling. So it becomes quite a, a beacon of 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 um, solace. So one can get very obsessed with it. But perhaps that's why one begins to recognize, well, there's something here, because actually, you know, it's not, physically, it's not that big a thing. And, um, you know, it's just recognizing the mind's um, dependency upon familiar patterns and familiar inputs of some kind of easy, pleasant feeling. And it's that. Well, this isn't, you know, this is, this is a hindrance, isn't it? If the mind is dependent upon something, you know, outside of itself, hmm, that's something to be freed from. 
So, of course, in, in, in uh, this situation for yourselves, then people who have particular, um, you know, dietary problems or physical problems, then, then there's an allowance. But this actually does mean, uh, you know, not like, <laughs> you know, uh, I feel unhappy, therefore. <laughs> it's actually like a you know, real kind of physical requirement. So stubbing your toe is not enough for <laughs> to guarantee you an evening meal, so don't try it. <laughs> And then so we have to, um, there's that, and then there's, I guess, that feeling for, which is common for us, is, is that sense of, um, why should I have to do this, you know? It's my right to eat, what's wrong with it? And that feeling of being checked and held back, which brings up a kind of rebellious unrestreak uh, un- uh, in, uh, in our hearts, so we can get quite hot and uh, irritable about that and think, well, Wait a minute, this isn't uplifting what's truly good either, is it? This is, you know, you get that thing in the mind that gets quite irate and irritable and, you know, and contentious. I think, oh, hmm, what's this one? Is this, is this the Buddha speaking? Is this kind of the wise, enlightened thing? Or is it just the something that... that one can understand, one can sympathize with it, but actually it's not something you want to encourage. Better to be learned to be, to let go. And this is an example of the kind of um, situational teaching that, that, that makes retreats very valuable because they do tighten things up where we can suddenly see the mind uh, complaining or uh, you know, making uh, a big thing out of things that are actually not tremendously significant. And so we recognize, ah, you know, there's something that's been unearthed here. And then seeing that, and instead of just kind of suppressing it, or trying to reason one's way out of it, or believing in it, just creating an awareness that can listen to that patiently and let it go. Relax it. Relax the energies around that. So in this way, whenever one is able to to contact this uh, suffering, attachment, and so on, contact it, as it happens in the mind, that's the place where you can release. And it's through that personal and intimate bringing up and releasing one's suffering, one's stress, one's uh, attachments, that you begin to experience a a greater sense of being, uh, a vaster sense of being, more serenity and peacefulness. So you get a tremendous sense of, of personal strength over being able to, to ride out and pass through some of the uh, s- smoke screens and storms that the mind can throw up.
But because we're so used to believing and following the mind's emotional and psychological patterns, it does require uh, faith, tenacity, commitment. So these two, these three qualities, faith, and then this sense of renunciation, which is to be able to, to let go, to give things up, to abandon things. And then holding that with uh, the quality of commitment, self-discipline, resolution. These three are very powerful cultivators because they all take us out of ourselves. Faith is a movement into something beyond, something beyond us, something outside of our personal boundaries, something greater, some possibility, something that we don't yet know. Renunciation is a movement that takes us out of ourselves because it means giving up something, an aspect of ourselves, of our, of our world, of our systems that we've grown used to that we've kind of settled into, that we feel comfortable with, and just putting it away, that, that uh, takes you out. And then uh, resolution, commitment, to sustain beyond what um, we find, say, you know, our normal personality systems are... are um, will bear with. As you know, as, as meditators, you see how, how flickering um, attention is, the ability for the mind to attend uh, to one thing. Um, it's quite limited to a meditation topic, for example, maybe five seconds first. Well, it's quite nothing unusual about that to the breath or to before it flickers off. So it's you know five seconds, ten seconds. You can build it up over time. It will build up over time. But you see that that um, habit of the attentions shifting around creates the myth of freedom. because our attention can move from this to that or the other, then we feel, oh, we're free to do this, that, and the other. So it seems that's what freedom's about, you know, the ability to do this and that and the other. But from a Dharma perspective, all that's doing is like rattling the chains. <laughs> it's not freedom, you know, so you're free to rattle your chains, you know. <laughs> Because it's saying the mind actually can't get beyond this particular runaround, you know, from this to that to the other. It can't actually, it's trapped like a, like a gerbil, on these gerbils on a treadmill, you know, it's really moving around there, it thinks it's going places. And <laughs> tremendous amount of energy going into it. It's not really, you couldn't say it's, it's a free creature. It's, it's, it's bound within that, within that particular cycle. And so, um, the, the habitual mind is, tends to be bound into a cycle that's defined by pleasure, what's pleasant, 
what's familiar, um, what's me. And so that makes it um, fragile because on this, in this life, of course, um, there are forces and energies that are not pleasant, are not me, that are not something I control or know or understand. As there are spontaneous uh, occurrences. Life it actually is quite chaotic. So if we're only able to, to function with what's known and what's easy and what's comfortable and what's mine, this does weaken us. Um, and you see in, in an um, advanced society such as, such as this, such as the West, then there are enormous um, structures or amount structures that to, to create a sense of security. I mean, not just the enormous amount of money that's spent on what they call defense, which is sort of debatable, you know, mass paranoia. Um, just on that level, but also on a kind of, um, you know, personal psychological level of, of you know, what makes us feel secure in ourselves. But what this does in the, in the long run is that the, the human being finds themselves trading off the miraculous and the marvelous and settling for the secure and the comfortable. So we, we trade off the possibility of, of tran- the transcendent for getting by. Because the, you know, the this this recognition of the the awakened and the, the transcendent is not is not a, a place that's that's uh, personally mapped out. It's a transpersonal experience. <coughs> so just having the, the the qualities of going forth, of opening up, of letting go, and then holding, just sustaining through that, very very important. So this applies in, in broad terms, you know, to just staying with the retreat through the flows of it, through the, you know, maybe the initial interest and inspiration to some of the kind of, you know, the, the downside of it uh, as the energy, energy shift and you've, you know, things come up in your mind and you get a bit bored and restless. And just staying through that. That's not something that shouldn't happen on a retreat. It's something that does happen on retreats and there's a lot of things one can learn from that. Getting up early and you know when perhaps your energy is not that vigorous and strong but just doing it and then contemplating and working with the the kind of you know, the, 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 the subtler energies of the mind, when the mind isn't particularly bright. And that's okay.
though we can broaden the, our perspective, so beyond just the, the particular kind of showpiece of our personality that we're quite okay with, uh, you know, that we like to present to others and, you know, present to ourselves occasionally, um, realizing that, that that personality is only a facet of the totality of what you can experience. And there's all kinds of other stuff. And the more that one neglects it, that other stuff can get really quite dark and uh, irritable and, and unpleasant. And so, so the duty of a cultivator is to start to awaken some of this, you know, to, to go into the shadows and, and brighten them up, to give them some ear, to give some attention, to bear with them and, and work them out. So in terms of retreat, we're not looking at peak experiences, but at a continuum. Not a particular high points. You know, did you have a high point today? And how many high points did you have on the retreat? Did it go steadily upwards to a crescendo of delight, elation? You know, steadily, steady progress up to the stratosphere of illumination. But what's it like just kind of going through the ups and downs of it all and, and being able to take that on? This is human life. Of course, they, we can have exquisite experiences in meditation, exquisitely beautiful experiences in meditation. But the main thing is to begin to recognize the the beauty in the ordinary, the sense of, of clarity and non-attachment and freedom in the ordinary things and broadening one's avenues, one's uh, approaches into, into life. The ordinary things is like getting up, uh, bathing, being aware of that, fully aware of that, mindful of that doing the chores mindfully, making a practice out of eating a meal so that you, instead of these things being things we just kind of gloss over and rush through and get on to the next thing and this wasn't very much, so what? But actually pausing and lingering and looking into that. Every experience is something to tell us about where we neglect and about waking up. So life can be brought, the whole of life can be brought into a a more honoring and beautiful perspective once we move out of our habits and limitations. Sense of resolution is, is, is a very fundamental parameter or transcending virtue. There's no way that, there's no, poss- no possibility for, for development without some degree of resolution um, because otherwise we just will only stay where we are and just shift the furniture around, if you like, in our lives. So this backs up every other kind of virtue. Like morality has to be something we can sustain, not just the momentary inspiration, but something we can sustain when it's tested, when people are unpleasant to us, how we can sustain right speech, when things are 
not going well, how we can sustain uh, um, sense restraint, how we can uh, cultivate that. And a retreat is no, no, uh, has no, as little value without resolution. And then begin to witness and watch. Now, what, what is it that can, can sustain through that? And we re- begin to realize it's not um, the thing that persists through the changing currents and conditions of the mind, the highs, the not-so-highs, the ups, the downs, the good, the bad, the ugly, the whole lot, the beginnings and the end of things. It's through being able to sustain attention, sustain acceptance, sustain if we can't really even properly look at it, at least we can encompass it, we can allow it, we can be with it, be present with it. Then you begin to become more dispassionate about the ups and the downs. They no longer really throw you so much. It's just this, it's just that. Something that passes, that's the first thing you really recognize just passing. It may be very dramatic, but by the end of the afternoon it will be just, well, that was that. So you begin to learn that. And that's a very, very important thing to, to have been, to have learnt right in, in the heart, in the guts, to have learnt it. So that it's changed one's instincts and one's, uh, imp- one's compulsions. And we begin to, once we have that perspective on impermanence and change, then you can, the way that you understand or relate to conditions, to the conditions of body and mind, is much more serene. You get this uh, sense of really seeing your life in terms of an awareness, something that's, that's, Present, that's uh, it's uh, attentive. It's you can't really you never really define it exactly what it is, but it's that quality of awareness. And then there's the various conditions of life: the um, thoughts, the memories, the emotions, the habits, and so on, the energies that we have. And then bringing these two into harmony, bringing these two into harmony, so that there is a, a real rela- inner relationship between these aspects of our lives, between the, we've found a refuge place, which is the awareness, which is what Buddha Dhamma Sangha referred to. We have that continuum, whatever, whatever's going on, we can go back to that, we can see that through the conditions, the knower of the conditions, the, the one that can hear and receive those conditions. So you begin to, see that or feel that or go towards that in any experience. So it gives you a, 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 a common ground, uh, a common refuge place. And from that, that's your basis. And then being able to contemplate the nature of thoughts, 
feelings, which are the ones that mean what they mean to you, what are they about, what are the ones that you, you want to bring forth and strengthen, what are the ones you want to offer to people, what are the ones that you feel are worthy, and what are the ones that you just expre- express compassion to and let go of and let pass. So you're learning how to live your life. And once we get that acknowledgement of the path of Dhamma, then life, living this human life, that is, that's the retreat that goes on. And it's, it's unique. For, every, for everyone, it's going to be different for different people. But it means your life then has a purpose to it because your life experience is teaching you about awakeness, awareness, teaching you the skillful means to relate your awareness and your awakeness to life on the planet. And this is the, the beauty of the Buddha's path. Um, it's not that we're denying planetary life or you know, thinking it's all a waste of time, we're going to get to some pie-in-the-sky place. But this bringing of the two together, of the, of you like, if you call it the transcendent and the, the manifest, or the awareness and the conditions, bringing them together. Um, and what this does is it, it removes one of the, the primary obstacle to enlightenment, to a complete freedom, which is uh, a sense of self, which can occupy itself on either the, what seems to be the transcendent plane, such as I am beyond all this, I am other than this, I'm, re- you know, I'm just pure awareness, and so this stuff down here doesn't mean anything. Or it can occupy itself with the, the mundane and the manifest. Um, or it can kind of do some on one days and some on the other days. <laughs> and so bringing the two together begins to to eliminate that that way of holding experiences or or resisting experiences. So as we settle in, then um, the beginning instruction is to consider some of these themes, the retreat, what it's about as a general thing, sense of faith, uh, relinquishment, letting go, and resolution, commitment, making something that those, those three principles, the things that you you bring to mind the beginning of the day, the end of the day. You're still with that. Don't get don't get confused by the details of what's happening. Just stay with that that central theme. 
and then through a period of a week or so, then you really learn those and you know the, the strength and the benefits of those things. They take you through, they take you out. And out of the, the kind of manipulations of the mind, trying to steer things and get this and make that and not be this and not feel that and, oh dear, you know, become something other. And so this, this kind of commitment to the path and then the path is the thing that actually does the work. And our duty is to st- just to stay with it, to stay in tune with it. When you make that kind of um, consideration to yourself, then bringing yourself into the the present moment, putting aside the future, the past, the present moment, the mind as it is, and then the sensations in your body, and just resting on that, taking the chance to just check in with yourself, rest with yourself. So... You know, at first, just, just that, that bringing yourself to attention, <coughs> finding a place, settling in. So it's not a matter of, of you know, you come to a retreat and now we start doing all kinds of things to, 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 you know, developing meditation as another activity. But finding a place where you, you, you begin from a practice from a place of, of stillness, an awareness, aspiration, and then taking the time just to, to feel yourself, just to check in with yourself, body, physical feelings, mental patterns, psychological patterns, the energies you have, the, the emotional moods, whatever it is, and just receiving yourself gently, kindly, without discrimination. And keep putting aside the kind of restless, Feelings one should be doing something, the feverish, you know, what do we do next? What's gonna when am I gonna get to the good bit and <laughs> or you know, or the mind just thinking, Oh getting dull, bored. Yeah. Only putting those aside, just being present. Letting the practice take its course. 